we visit churches and so on and so forth. And that's an interesting question to ask a former MK missionary kid turned missionary. And I always answer by saying, I'll tell you where I've been, and you can guess where I'm from. (laughs) Now, it's not my purpose here this morning to uh, talk about the ministry per se down in Brazil. Uh, We're reserving that for this evening, but we do want to whet your appetite a little bit. Just in a few moments, I'm going to ask the the men back in the the back there to to hit the on button, and we're going to see a a short presentation here, hopefully to whet your appetite. But... uh, Over the the last uh, number of years, there have been a few changes here in the church, a lot of new faces. Uh, Some, every time we come back, there are new people here. Some people have left. Some people have gone on to glory. So we want to kind of let you get to know us a little bit, those of you who don't know us real well. Um, So I'd like to tell you a little story, okay? And uh, Pastor already mentioned a few little things, but uh, let me fill in some details. My uh, a personal connection with First Baptist Church began a little over 40 years ago as a result of a relationship that developed between me and a certain young lady. Uh, this young lady grew up here in this church, as Pastor already mentioned, graduated from Carroll High School, grew up right here in Carroll all her life, and the Lord brought us together. Uh, we were, uh, well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, uh, about the time when we met in college, uh, the day that I proposed to her, I also asked her if she would go with me to Brazil as my wife to serve uh, on the field, and she said yes. Uh, And then about a year later, we were married right here in uh, First Baptist, the old auditorium over here uh, by Pastor Grant, and uh, that's kind of how it all got started. So we've had, I have had a personal relationship with First Baptist here for going on, well, actually a little over 40 years. Uh, 30 of those years, the church has, uh, has stood with us in regards to our ministry in Brazil, and we're thankful for that. Uh, let's go ahead and hit that, and uh, you're probably going to get some questions, but you can ask those tonight. This is to whet your appetite for this evening. Perante o trono 
realize that not all of you will be able to come back this evening, but hopefully this might encourage you if you're uh, considering otherwise. We will be sharing a little more detail. Now, for those of you that were involved in that, a uh, special thank you to you once again. Once again, I say this every time we're back, we are thankful for our home church, First Baptist of Carroll, and for standing with us over these uh, 30 years that we have been serving uh, him down in Brazil. So, come back this evening. By the way, those of you who were involved in the group, remember that little piece of foam that had everybody's name on it? Well, it's still tucked up there in that little hole, okay? Uh, Once in a while, I have to open that up, and it's still there, and it will stay there indefinitely. We want to share a little bit from God's Word this morning, so I'd invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 24. By the way, a personal congratulations to uh, those of you who graduated. Uh, this evening, we will be talking a little bit more about a special graduation that occurred on the mission field down in Brazil. So once again, maybe an encouragement for you to come back. We do have, just as an advertisement here, we do have a, a, a display table set up in the foyer in the back. Uh, we apologize first of all that we do not have yet a prayer card you're going to owe you on that, as we have to all of our supporting churches, but hopefully that will come out before we head back in August. But we do have a couple things there. If you'd like to be placed on our mailing list, we have a sign-up sheet provided for you there. I know some of you are already on that list. Also, we have in the middle of the table a little booklet uh, that looks like this, called the Five Cards. Those of you who are into soccer, uh, this is a little uh, evangelistic tool that we used last year during the World Cup outreach, uh, which was hosted down in Brazil, um, and it's based on the theme of soccer, but it's also uh, builds upon the, the five covers of the wordless book. So uh, those are there for your taking. Help yourself to uh, two or three. Keep one for yourself and uh, pass the others out. In Spanish, there are a few there in Spanish as well. You know some Spanish friends that can benefit from that. During the Sunday school hour, pastor was talking about the health and wealth gospel, or what is often today referred to as prosperity theology. Many of these type of uh, cults and isms and ideologies, philosophies that we're seeing more and more coming to the forefront in our days today, not just here in America, but worldwide, 
Many of these are based upon experience, are experience-oriented. And all too often, we face these kind of things on the mission field in Brazil. And I think, unfortunately, there are still many Christians that uh, kind of interpret the Christian walk, the Christian life, by experiences. Well, there, are, there is value in certain experiences, but these must be understood and interpreted in the light of Scripture. Unfortunately, all too often they are not, and this causes much confusion and much uh, misunderstanding in regards to God's direction. These young people graduating, and yet at the same time, a concern of mine, and I'm sure a concern to them and to their parents and family, is now what? Uh, you know, they, they shared with us where they're going to be going to school, what they're going to be studying, but probably even now they're, they're wondering, you know, what's really ahead for me? And whether you're a child, a young person, or uh, an adult already experienced in life, there still occasionally comes those thoughts in mind, how do I know, how do I determine God's will for me for right now where I'm at? Well, I don't have the pat answer. I don't, there's not a secret formula for knowing God's will. Having said that, I believe there are principles that we can see, and I believe that there are biblical examples that we can look at, which we're going to do here this morning. And we know that Scripture itself says that these examples were given to us for our edification, for direction. It is so nice when God puts certain declarations in his word which states very clearly, this is my will. You know, we don't have to have an airplane riding into the sky. It's right here. One of the best examples I can think of, uh, there's a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, that says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That is, becoming more like Jesus Christ, becoming holy, becoming perfect, mature. And it says, this is my will. I, I like those kind of passages. I don't know about you. I like those kind of passages. It says, you know, this is what God wants me to do. But then there are many other times where we kind of have to, we wonder, you know, what, what does God really want from me? And so we want to look at three biblical examples here this morning from Genesis chapter 24. And as I've said, there's no, there's no set pattern. There's no secret formula. I remember when I was younger, high school and college, and facing some of those decisions, I went through many of the same struggles that many of you have gone through or may be going through right now. Um, however, for those who truly want God's will and want to know what God has for us, I believe that there are four basic principles that we can gain from Scripture. And just briefly, I'm going to mention these, and then we're going to, we're going to show the examples of three biblical person, uh, personages that displayed these. First of all, we must want God's will. All too often, the problem is that, like you've heard many testimonies, Lord, I'll do anything but... How many have ever said that or thought that? Come on, come on, be honest. I'll do anything but be a missionary? No, not this guy. Been there, done that. 
We must want God's will. Secondly, we must pray and seek his guidance. Thirdly, we must be willing to obey. And lastly, we must be alert to what God is doing in and through us and around us. God uses circumstances. God uses people. God uses situations. And we have to be alert to these. Now, none of these truths are new. You've heard these before. But they're key to understanding God's action, God's will in our lives. And so we want to see this illustrated in the lives of three people here in Genesis chapter 24. Those three people being Abraham, Isaac, and Abraham's servant, who is not named, but we'll name him here in a few minutes. Let's read the first few verses here of Genesis chapter 24. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Would I pray thee thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Now, many of you are probably familiar with this story. How Abraham uh, gives this, uh, this important servant a very special task. But let's consider a few details here, okay? First of all, at this point in Abraham's life, he is somewhere in the vicinity of 140 years old, okay? He's now in the promised land. Uh, he also has recently lost his wife, Sarah. If you read the chapter one, chapter one or two chapters before that, you see where Sarah has passed away. And he's expressing his concern here for his posterity, for his son, Isaac, in regards to the future. Abraham realized that his son Isaac was the promised son, and he was given in fulfillment of God's covenant, which he had made to Abraham way back in Ur of the Chaldees, uh, some 55, 60 years prior to this. He also realized that God, that it was through Isaac that God was going to bring about the fulfillment of the rest of the covenant promise that he had given to Abraham. So Abraham is quite concerned in regards to the right wife for Isaac, a wife, somebody that would uh, love and worship the true God, Jehovah. And he makes very clear instructions. He says, don't take somebody from Canaan, pagan people, idolaters. He said, nope, they're not, they're not fit to be Isaac's wife. Now, we know that Abraham was a man of faith. We see that various times. He believed God's word, and he knew how to apply God's 
direction in specific situations and decisions. During the 65 years since we first are introduced to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, uh, God has guided, God has blessed Abraham. And he knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God was going to continue to guide and direct him and not forsake him. Then we come to our our second uh, Bible character here, and that's Isaac. Now, this passage, the entire chapter here, really doesn't say a whole lot about Isaac, per se. But we can gain some understanding from uh, this passage and other uh, taken in context. Uh, Who can tell me how old was Abraham when Isaac was born? How old was he? I like participation here. You can say it. Go ahead. What? Okay, he was pushing 100, wasn't he? If I'm correct. So, if he's 140 now, how old is Isaac? Okay, Isaac is about 40 years old, and he has recently lost his mother. Remember I mentioned that Abraham lost his wife Sarah? That's Isaac's mother. So he had recently lost his mother. Now, even though it doesn't state it specifically here, we can, I believe, uh, correctly assume that Isaac had learned to submit his will to his father's will. Remember that, remember that story about how God tested Abraham, says, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice to me? Okay, this had been a few years before that. Many times we, we think of that story as Isaac being a little boy. Some people calculate that he was probably in his 20s when that happened. But through that experience, Isaac learned to trust both of his fathers, his earthly father and his heavenly father. Remember when he asked his father, he says, well, where's the sacrifice? What was his answer? God will supply it. And he did. So Isaac had been through an experience where he had learned to trust his earthly father as well as his heavenly father to provide. So there's no doubt whatsoever that that experience had quite an impact on Isaac. Here he is now. We know that in those days it was, you know, the parents that chose the, the, the bride and so on and so forth. Uh, today we look at that kind of situation. We think, <laughs> no way am I going to... Um, that's the way they did it back in those days. Occasionally, we still see that here. Through this experience that Isaac had, he came to learn about God's faithfulness, as well as his own earthly father's unquestionable obedience to God. Isaac had definitely learned to trust his two fathers. Now, um, Let's not forget that one of Abraham's main motives in making this decision uh, was to avoid, upon his death, that Isaac should marry a pagan Canaanite woman who most likely, not knowing the not knowing Jehovah God, uh, not worshiping, not believing, would most, most uh, likely cause Isaac to stray or abandon uh, Jehovah. And then thirdly, we, we come to this servant. And here's where I'd like to spend most of my time this morning. Verse 1 again. And Abraham was old, well stricken in age. The Lord had blessed Abraham. Verse 2. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. 
Now, who is this? He's not named in this passage. But if you go back a few chapters to chapter 15, we read of a, a time, this was before Isaac was born, when God had made the promise of a seed. It hadn't been realized yet, it hadn't been fulfilled yet. And at one point, Abraham and, and some doubtful said, well, you know, the only heir I have is this Eliezer of Damascus. Now, I believe that that's this servant here. Again, not named, but I believe it is the same person. And if indeed it is, then here is a man that had it been faithfully serving Abraham for over 50 years. Now, let's remember a few things about Eliezer. He was, first and foremost, a servant. Okay? Now, he had been given a tremendous responsibility. Uh, he was given the, the care of all. He ruled over all that Abraham had, and Abraham had a lot of things. Um, and when, when Abraham said, you know, mentioned Eliezer as the only heir he's, he had, at that point in time, if something had happened to Abraham, Eliezer would have been the one to inherit all that Abraham had. But at this point here, uh, there is an heir. That's Isaac. At no point do we see Eliezer showing any attitude of uh, bitterness, of resentment, of getting even, but he continued to be that faithful servant. Now, he is given here a daunting task, a task of tremendous importance and significance, okay? Now, although he had been a servant for well over 50 years, he was asked to do something that he had never, ever done before. And that was to choose a bride for his master's son. Never done that before. First time. So, no experience in this area. But this one-time unique responsibility involved a tremendous amount of trust on Eliezer's part. First and foremost, it was going to be not just uh, uh, the, the, the emotional aspect of thing, but there was also some physical challenge, psychological, because he was being asked to travel approximately 500 miles back to where Abraham had originated from and where the Chaldees. And back in those days, they didn't have airplanes, they didn't have trains or cars or any of that kind of fun stuff. They had to hoof it. 500 miles is a bit of a trip. So, it's, it's a tremendous sacrifice that's being asked of him. So, what does Eliezer do? Well, he listens, first of all. Abraham calls him, he tells him what he wants to do, and he listens very carefully to his master's instructions. In verse 5, he asks a question. He says, you know, what, what happens if, uh, if when I get there, the lady doesn't want to come back with me? And Abraham, and he says, do I take Isaac there? And he said, no way, Jose. Uh, you ain't going to do that. But then he adds something in verse 7, and we'll get to that in a second. But the servant makes a vow. He makes a vow to his master, and then he immediately sets out to fulfill that vow in obedience. He doesn't question. He just does it. 
And then in verse 7, we have some very important words that Abraham gives to this servant. He says, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Listen to this next part. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Now, do you detect any doubt there from Abraham? None whatsoever. He said, this is what's going to happen. I believe God. God has shown his faithfulness, and he's going to go before you, Eliezer. He's going to prepare the way. So, God gives Abraham a specific promise. He believes that promise, and he passes that on to Eliezer as an encouragement to him. Abraham states here that God's angel would go before the servant and guide him just to the right woman. Now, let's take a little closer look at Eliezer and the task that he has laid before him, okay? As we've already indicated, here is a servant that has served Abraham for a good number of years. He has lived and served only to please his master. He has been loyal. In fact, in this long chapter 24 of 67 verses, uh, Eliezer refers to Abraham 19 times as my master. Now, he received the orders from Abraham. He didn't change them. He didn't change one detail. And he made his vow of obedience. He meant it, and he kept it. Succeeding or failing in his mission, Eliezer knew that he was going to come back to Abraham and give an accounting to Abraham, his master. And he wanted to give an accounting that would not bring about embarrassment to him. If we believe what Abraham said, as, he, as Abraham believed in what God had said, he was going to be successful. But he also knew that he was going to give an accounting. The servant acted by faith. By faith in God and by faith in Abraham. Look at verse 12. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee. Now, remember that second uh, principle we talked about? You know, we must want God's will. We must pray and seek God's will. Okay, here we see Eliezer praying. I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of city came out, come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And hereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Eliezer prays, and he, give, he makes a very, very specific, he makes some very specific requests, doesn't he? Very specific. He says, Lord, and by the way, you believe Eliezer is a follower of Jehovah here? Because he says, uh, oh Lord, Master Abraham, he's saying, okay, uh, this is Jehovah God, the, 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 the God of my master. But what do you think? Was, did Eliezer believe in him also? 
Would he have prayed if he had not? <laughs> no. I, I honestly believe that he was also a follower of Jehovah. But anyway, um, so here he is. Uh, he acted by faith in the God of Abraham, his God. He believed the promise of God. He took time to pray and to ask God for help. As we think about what God has in store for us, no matter where we are at in our life. Young people, older, do we pray? Do we really take time to ask God for direction? But he not just prayed, he also kept his eyes open to see what God might do. Okay, we already read verses 13 and 14. Okay, he prays. He says, let it happen this way, Lord. And uh, as we follow the story, verse 15, and it says, and it came to pass before he had done speaking, before he finished his prayer, while Eliezer is praying, God is already sending the answer. The answer is always on, is, all, is already on the way. Before, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of so on and so forth. Okay? So, he prays. He keeps his eyes open to see what God might do. And while he's praying, God is already sending the answer. Now, Eliezer was not impulsive. Many times we fall into that, don't we? We get impatient. We think, you know, let's... And, and Abraham sometimes showed that, didn't he? Remember way back at the beginning when uh, God delayed in fulfilling his promise? He thought, well, I'm going to give God a little hand here, you know? And so we get Hagar and we get Ishmael in the middle there and kind of mess things up a little bit. And uh, as a result of that... Up until our present day, we have problems in our world because of that, don't we? Uh, <laughs> but we won't go into that. He was not impulsive, but he waited on the Lord to see what he would do. Now, skip down with me down to verse 21. And the man, talking about Eliezer, wondering at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So here again we have Eliezer. He's observing what Rebecca does. Okay, Rebecca comes. He approaches her. He says, can I get a little water to drink? I'm thirsty. You know, I've just traveled 500 miles. Um, and she said, sure. And then of her own initiative, she says, and I'll give to your camels too. Now, we know from the context that he had at least 10 camels. He had brought at least 10 camels loaded with gifts and so on and so forth. Now, I don't know how much you know about camels, but camels can drink a lot of water. It's been said that some camels can drink up to 40 gallons of water. All right? So here we have 10 camels. Uh, let's go ahead with the 40 gallons. How many gallons is that? That's 400 gallons. And we don't have a pump here to draw the water out of the well. We have to do it. You know, the old crane. And so Rebecca, she says, I'm going to water your camels. 
Wow. Now, he didn't ask her for that. He just sat back and observed. He had prayed that God would do that, and that's exactly what happened. And so here we have what we might call, oftentimes we use the expression, putting out a fleece. Now, I might say to you young people and others listening, uh, we need to be careful not to try to determine, always determine God's will by putting out a fleece. All too often what happens when we do this by, by putting out this fleece is we're basically telling God what to do, and that's dangerous. Uh, perhaps the, the primary example, biblical example of that is Gideon, right? When Gideon was seeking God's direction and God, God honored that. And we see God honoring that as well here. But it may not always be the best way for people to determine the will of God. The conditions uh, will often determine that. And we need to be careful that we don't try to, to control the conditions or to control God. And that happens all too often. We say, Lord, this is the way I want it to happen, you know, and that's just the way it is. You know, I'm not going to take anything else. Hello. Both here and in the case of Gideon, God accommodated himself to the needs of the servant and guided him as he had requested. It happened just as he had requested. God showed himself faithful. He believed God, he trusted God, and he trusted in the providence of God to direct him. And then we come to, I think, the key phrase that we want to use to end here, and that is in verse 27. At this point, uh, Eliezer is now in the home of Rebekah's parents, and he's sharing with them what had happened, how he had prayed, and uh, what had happened. And he's relating this then to Rebekah's parents. In verse 27, and it says, And he said, Eliezer said to Rebekah's parents, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. Now notice this next phrase. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. I didn't tell you the title of my sermon at the beginning, did I? So now here it is. Getting in the way. Getting in the way. Now, as our kids were growing up, one of the things that really irked me sometimes in our home was Legos. Little pieces of Legos left on the floor where bare feet can find them and step on them. Anybody had that experience before? <laughs> Get these things out of here. You know, or sometimes we even hear parents say to their kids, Get out of the way. Well, I'm not talking about that getting in the way. I'm talking about another kind of getting in the way. And that is a good kind, the kind that we see Eliezer experiencing here. He says, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's servant. We need to get in the way, folks. We need to get in the way. You say, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you want some examples? I gave you one example at the beginning. God's will is that we live in sanctification. 
there are, Scripture is full of examples where God says, this is what I want you to do. Does it not? The problem is, oftentimes, we just don't want to do it. We know what we ought to be doing every day. There's enough stuff here that says this is how we should be living day by day. Uh, out on the table, we have, in the middle, we have a small tablecloth that has, in Portuguese, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. What are those? Well, those are things that we need to be practicing, living. Um, just this past Wednesday, pastor was talking a little bit in regards to this, and there was a passage that we used to talk about. You know, there are, if you have any doubts, a really good passage for you to read, and we're not going to read here this morning, is uh, Romans chapter 12. You know, it starts out by uh, those two verses. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that present your living present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is in your reasonable service, and so on and so forth. You read that entire chapter, and I did, a, I did a series of sermons down in Brazil on that chapter. I never finished. I went about three or four months and still didn't finish. But there's, there's a lot of stuff in that chapter where God says, this is, this is what I want you to practice. This is what I want you to live. And all too often, the problem is we're not really getting in the way. How can we expect God to direct our future if we're not doing what he wants us to do right now? You want, you want to really get in the way? Okay, here's, here's a suggestion. All right. Well, before I make this suggestion, I'd like to ask something here. I'd like to ask everybody in this church right here this morning that has either in the past or is presently serving, has served or is serving in some capacity inside in the church here. I'd like you to stand. Would you do that for me? In the past or you're presently serving in some capacity or other in this church. Amen. Thank you. Now, the rest of you, ooh, I knew this was coming. You, you want to you want to, uh, you give your pastor a heart attack, or you want to make him really happy, you go to him and you say, Pastor, I want to serve. I want to do something. I'm just sitting here not doing anything. Is there anything I can do? <laughs> what do you think, Pastor? You got any ideas? In fact, I think a few years ago, you had a list, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if that's still around, a list of a bunch of different things that you can be involved in here. That's getting in the way. How did this guy get to be where he's at? How did this guy and his wife get to be missionaries? Well, there was a time where I fought the Lord. I said, Lord, I'll do anything but. Be a missionary? (laughs) Not this guy. Oh, well, okay, you're an MK. It was natural, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, Getting in the way. You're concerned about what God wants you to do down the road. Then get in the way right now. Do that which you know you should be doing. And scripture tells you what you should be doing. Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God's word. He sought to obey God's word 
because he knew that true faith always results in obedience. Why do, why do so many people, why do young people say, well, Lord, I'll do anything but? Why do we do that? Well, because we're afraid. And not just that, but oftentimes we're, think, we're, we're, we're thinking, well, what are the others going to think of me? Well, when we get that attitude, what are, who are we really thinking about? Me, myself, and I. What are others going to think of me? True faith results in obedience. And the more we meditate on God's word, right here, the more truth we will see and the more direction we will get from it. There's enough here that if we just would follow it, we'd be getting in the way and God would direct your future steps. Finally, unless we trust God's word, as Abraham did, as Isaac did, as Eliezer did, and obey it, Here's an idea. You've never thought about this before. Unless we trust God's word and obey it, he will not, he has not promised to direct us. You say, where do you get that? Anybody here ever learned uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? How many of you ever learned Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Okay. If you know it, now I learned it from the King James, okay? If you know it and you want to quote it with me, go ahead. And how does it start? Who can tell me? What? What? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will do what? Direct thy steps. You say, well, that's too simple. Exactly. That's getting in the way. That's getting in the way. Don't worry about down the road. Let's get in the way now. Let's do what we know God wants us to do. And the rest he'll take care of. But we must want God's will. We must pray and seek God's will. We must be willing to obey and then sit back and watch to see what God does. Don't just accept it just because it's an experience. But like Eliezer, he trusted God, but he also, he was not impulsive. He watched to see what God would do. God is faithful. May he help us to be faithful. Let's get in the way, folks. Thank you, Lord, for your truths. Thank you for the examples of these men in your word. Help us, Lord, to take these truths to heart. Not new truths, but truths that we have to be reminded of every once in a while. To trust you, to obey you, and to live for you. Help us, Lord, to get in the way. We ask these things in Christ's name.